This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report, again with Bruce McLean, head coach at Iona College, and Pat Clifton, uh, who is with Rugby Today and head coach of... Kansas City Cougars. The Kansas City Cougars. Well, yeah. we're a nice bunch of kids. Saw them in Vegas. They're a nice bunch of kids. Uh, and, and we are uh, coming to you uh, in Rugged Matrix America, brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. And uh, check out RuggedMatrix.com for the Rugged Matrix International Show. Uh, we're talking Eagles. So, um, guys, first of all, did you spend all your Sunday uh, watching the ARC? I did. I was watching the ARC on my laptop and uh, the Chiefs on the TV in the background. So I was a little conflicted during the match. But, uh, yeah, I watched it. A pretty good, uh, pretty good result. I watched the ARC as well. And this is the first time you've introduced me as the coach of Iona College. Very really? funny. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I actually have a <clears> – excuse me. We, um, we had a huge crowd at our game this week. Because Pat Quinn, the guy who started the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, got inducted into the um, Rugby Hall of Fame. I got to send you. There's a video on YouTube, not on YouTube. There's a video on Facebook that this guy Mike Botti did that was really cool about how they inducted him. And they, it was a great job that they did in the induction. Said so that'd be nice if you guys posted that on your uh, on your respective sites. I just don't know how to get that video in a form usable, but you guys might. So I, I did post it on my Facebook page. It was amazing. <clears throat> and, and, and the amount of work that Pat Quinn's done for ALS awareness and the fact that that ice bucket challenge, you know, like or dislike it raised $120 million. So <clears throat> for a disease that essentially had zero to no support, you know, you know, little to no support and, uh, and, his his story is quite inspirational, and he's he goes out. I mean, the guy works seven days a week, sometimes two or three events. Wow. It's unbelievable. He was he was all day at Iona, and and it's hard for him to move. He can't raise his arms now. He couldn't hold his plaque, and um, you know, his wife takes him around. His brother, his mother, and they and they go to different events. And he was at a, a huge ALS walk this week. So it was, it was pretty good. And it's cool. I mean, it, it was, it was great. I, I'm, I'll send you, I'll, I'll tag you in it on Facebook. And if you guys can figure out how to do it or I'll ask Mike, if he can send it to you guys. Okay. Uh, well, no, that, that's a terrific cause and, an, uh, you know, an important cause. And it's really cool to have, uh, have him out there at the game. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, about the U.S. national team, and I mean, it starts. It's funny. This is such a weird thing uh, for us to be doing, but it starts almost um, at the most basic level, kind of a low level. Works it's all the way up to a level that really we don't talk about that much, which is the very best of the very best in the game. Um, so, right coming up, November first, Soldier Field, uh, the USA plays New Zealand. Um, it's going to be uh, a, 
if it hasn't been announced already, it will be announced. It's going to be a sellout, a complete sellout. They don't have any more tickets. Uh, pretty amazing for that to happen. Um, I think there are a lot of New Zealand fans that even made the trip to the United States to see the game. A lot of uh, fans, uh, New Zealand fans that are living in the United States going to the game, but of course a lot of USA fans as well. Uh, I, you know, A huge success for USA Rugby on that score to start with, uh, without without the game even being played. Um, but before we get there, guys, we've had the ARC, the American Rugby Championship. This is where head coach Mike Tolkien is having a look at the players who might be on the Eagles for that game or might be playing on the Eagles later in November. So uh, USA won two games. They lost one. What did you think? Well, uh, straight out, I didn't watch the Argentina game. I was unavailable for that, but I did watch the other two. And, um, you know, while there were definitely uncapitalized opportunities and, and moments where they stepped on their own <clears throat> toes, uh, you know, I thought there was a lot of positives to come out of it. I thought uh, the play, um, you know, the standard wasn't great against Canada, but they did some things well. The kicking game was fantastic. Siddle, obviously still a little rusty and coming back, but... Um, you know, he gives us a dimension that we really haven't had, um, at least not to that level when in terms of his kicking game and, and you know, some bright performances from some, uh, some younger faces or, or maybe guys you didn't expect to have those kind of performances or maybe hadn't had them yet. And, uh, overall I was, yeah, I was pretty pleased with, uh, the two games that I was able to see, uh, what, what they were able to pull off and, you know, looking back at the history of, the way the USA has, has done at the ARC has not been very good until the last couple of years. So for them to put back-to-back good performances together at the ARC, I thought that was positive. I got to say that I, same as Pat, I wasn't able to see the first game, and I tried to get it online, and it just it wasn't there except for those uh, for the highlights. I thought the territory game was effective. It's going to be a little bit difficult to play that against the All Blacks. And, and, and I agree with Pat that while the, the standard of – what they did wasn't necessarily crisp or the tempo of the game wasn't necessarily what they wanted it to be. I think that they used the kicking game not to relieve pressure, but to apply pressure. And I, and I think that's a, a difference in how they've approached it. And, and I think that's effective and, and it will be effective against other teams. It may not be as effective against New Zealand, but it was, it was a, it was a really Great. I think that Troy Hall showcased himself pretty well. I thought Brian Doyle played well. I thought that the you know some of those plays that Zach Test made in the Canadian game were fantastic. Uh, Suniola played best. Sorry, the Uruguay um, Uruguay game were fantastic. I thought that uh, Suniola was started to get into a little bit of a rhythm against Uruguay, and that was good. I'd like to see Siddle stay a little bit flatter, especially on ball where we're using it. And and when you have a midfield like they had with with um, Siddle, Suniula, Falau, and then a, a backfield of of Troy Hall, you have four guys that I personally know can kick. And well, Suniula has had some uh, um, the center Suniula. Has had some has had some rough goes. Andrew has had some rough goes at, at kicking at times, but he's gotten better at it. I'm not sure of Zach Test's kicking game, and I'm certainly not sure of uh, of um, Stanfield's kicking game. But 
I think that he could stay flatter. And if he does that and they get into the shapes that they're playing, that they can be a bit more effective. I'm starting to sound like a, a freaky coach. But I, I thought that Andrew <laughs> was looked so much more in shape. Um, I was surprised at how well the sevens guys played. And and I you know you can't get to see the video over and say oh this he he didn't do well or what, but they seemed when they got the ball they were able to do some stuff. Uh, Duratalo obviously was thought he was playing sevens and thought he was going to canter into the tri zone which he did, and then you know then they knocked it out of his hand yeah. field and <clears throat> knocked it out of his hands. But the fact is it was he's played better today than he had in a long time. So it was a uh, it, it, they can't say it wasn't a successful tournament. They must have really enjoyed it. I, I, I would have if I were on the team. And, um, yeah, yeah, it, it I, was tough. Speaking as the only one who actually watched the uh, the Argentina game, I actually felt like they were they were in it. I mean, it was it was twenty one fourteen at halftime. Uh, they'd scored. Uh, a couple of pretty nice tries. One of them was on a kick, a cross kick from Siddle that uh, Tim Maupin ran in, nabbed, and, and scored. I thought that was lovely. And, and, and Chad London's try was fine, too. And, and they were competing. And then it's just like they just fell off the edge, uh, you know, partly because, you know, maybe it's a little bit of fatigue. Maybe it's not knowing each other. But you start to knock the ball on when you start to create scrums. Scrum, not what you want to be doing against Argentina. Um, I think they got worn down a little bit, uh, but for for a while, I think you know. Look, I don't know if they're going to win this game, but they're going to really compete. And so then they basically they started making mistakes, and it, the second half wasn't great. But the idea being, if they play this way, the way they played in the first half against Canada, they should be all right. Um, in my opinion, the Canadian team played very poorly. Um, and the USA team, you know, the, like you said, uh, the kicking game worked great. Uh, very happy for Tim Stanfield to score a couple of really nice tries. Um, and then it seemed, for the most part, apart from a bunch of really some boneheaded mistakes, uh, they should have scored a bunch more tries against Uruguay. But it, at least they didn't play to their play into Uruguay's hands. They tried to play wide. They tried to attack them in various different places. Um, I, I I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw this or you care or whatever. I mean, I th- I thought Shalom Suniola was was passing flat, passing kind of behind guys, so guys weren't running out of the ball. But I guess if they line up flatter and he sends a flatter pass, maybe that that problem is fixed. Now, is it did did these players play their way onto the Eagles this way? Well, <laughs> I think knowing what we know now about the availability of some of our overseas pros, our English pros, um, there are going to be some openings in that fall tour. I, I don't think anybody played their way into the All Blacks game. Um, I haven't looked at the schedule to see how the All Blacks game intersects with the seven schedule, but uh, actually they should be fine. So it, they're, it, they're test, fine, yeah. Yeah, Test potentially maybe played his way into that squad. Um, but, uh, you know, outside of maybe that one example, I don't think the all black game was pretty well set before any of this happened. Um, but for the November tour, yeah, I think there were some, there's some holes and, you know, I think Tim Stanfield showed himself really well. And obviously they're going to be needing a, to fill a couple of holes in that November tour with, uh, Scully and, and, uh, and, uh, Wiles, uh, not being available most likely for any of those three games. So there's a, you know, I, I think 
they, you know, Stan Phil may be a guy who played his way onto that November team. Um, so yeah, I think that there, there was some of that. And I think Olive Khalifi had a really, uh, at least he had a fantastic game against, uh, against Uruguay. So um, I think he maybe he's further cementing himself um, in kind of a shaky ground. You know, if Eric Fry is unavailable um, or even if Eric Fry were available, I think he's helped solidify himself as a, as a significant contributor to the Eagles. So what we've got is most likely uh, a split squad. If you don't know, if you saw the, the press release, uh, USA Rugby has basically run a deal with or, or, or if you or if you saw the report when I broke it five days before the press release, yeah, All right. good for you. There you go. Right. Okay. Very good report. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Pat. Uh, yeah, so they, they they've cut a deal. All right. So w- what we have are a bunch of players who only will play for the All Blacks: uh, Cameron Dolan, Eric Fry, Samu Manoa. Hayden Smith, Chris Wiles, Blaine Scully. So that's a big trade-off. You know, all of these are, are high-profile pros uh, playing in the UK, and um, we don't see them uh, 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 after the All Blacks. Todd Clever's, Clever, Clever's going to be there for the uh, in, entire list of four games. I think that's great. Scott Lavalle is going to miss one of the games. Romania, probably the best one for him to miss. But he's going to be there for the rest of them. Uh, guy who's overseas, threatened Palamo. He's going to be there for two of the games, Tonga and Fiji. That's in Western Europe, not Eastern Europe, so that helps. Uh, and we have a bunch of uh, mixtures, players who are going to be there for all four. Uh, like we said, uh, Clever, uh, the Hookers, Kulikan, Teal, um, the Suniula brothers are going to be there for all four. But then we have other players who might come in for the last three, some other players who come in... Um, uh, for just a couple things like that, so there's there's all kinds of holes. Holes at at wing. So with without Scully and Wiles, we're looking to uh, Tim Maupin. Uh Pat, I know you like Zach Test and his performance at the ARC. He didn't get in. Uh, I think he's close. I mean, we're, we're happy to see Brett Thompson get all four games. So who else do we look for? Well, interestingly enough, Taku Nguenya is back, uh, available for the final three games. That's Really interesting to me. Uh, and then up front, uh, it, at second row, when you get Dolan out of there and Lavala uh, not available for one game and Manoa out of there, what do you do with the second row? Obviously, Lou Stanfield is, is big there. And we lose Hayden Smith as well. Obviously, Lou Stanfield is big there. But they brought in Greg Peterson, who's a big, tall, 6'8 guy from Australia. His dad is an American. Uh, he's actually a big NFL fan. So uh, plays super rugby, plays for the uh, New South Wales Waratahs. So um, a lot of interesting mixes there. What do you do? Uh, in a, uh, there are opportunities for guys. It's a stupid question. I don't know this answer. How tall is John Collins? Because I would wouldn't mind like, seeing him as a prop. He's six six. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, he's huge. We're not South African. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> change, change that. But um, Bruce, God, what did you like six, what, three, six, four. what what did you think of Bentar, uh, uh, the twenty year old? Well, uh, I freaking it was prop. funny because as I was watching that second game, I was texting back and forth with Phil Bailey. I was like, holy crap, this guy's all right. I said, he's holding his own. He's staying in strong. He's, hold, you know, he's holding his ground. He's, he's with a little bit of work. I think mean, he could be fantastic. 
I loved it. I was, I was, and he's uh, 20, he's 20 years old. He's, he's he's U.S. qualified from Australia, played for the USA under 20s. He was good. I, I, I legitimately thought that he was legit. I, I, I expected him not to be very good because I figured as an Australian, if he was a good scrummager at that age and they weren't going to let him, they weren't going to let him go. But holy cow, I, I think that he needs work. I think that he needs a, a bit of conditioning, and I think that he could he could definitely use a little bit of time in the weight room. But at the end of the day, man, I, I was very impressed with his ability, technique, the ability to stay low. The, the U.S. scrum has – it's been night and day. Now, I know they got – had a little bit of trouble today against Uruguay, but it was inconsistent trouble. They, they When they got killed, they got killed. But when they held their own, they held their own <laughs> – I just think they need to hold their own more. But the fact is, the improvement level from where they were <clears throat> to where they are is night and day. I mean, it, they actually stay low. They're flat. They they're patient. They're not, they don't have happy feet. This this so there's a lot of positives to be taken. And then I and then I think that that's translating into driving mall prowess. Now I don't think they're able to finish on the driving malls. With, and but it's it's been pretty good, and hopefully that this time together through that November tour series and then going in, we might we might actually start to be playing some pretty good rugby. So if they keep doing what they're doing in the in the scrum, then they're going to get better the right way. That's what you're saying. You know, like like they're going in the right direction there. In, in order to play, well, they're, they're, they're doing a couple of things. They're playing the quote unquote French pattern, at least when they're playing when they're attacking, they're they're playing the French pattern. It's kind of a two four two or a two three three system. And when I say two four two, two three three, I mean, you know, two forwards on one edge, two forwards on the other, four forwards in the middle. And there's a little bit of work off it. Oftentimes there's a a, a a double fly half system, which they can play because they have they have ball players at the at the First, you know, they have a bunch of first receivers out there and they're playing a territory game and they're basing a lot of it on their ability to play defense and and kick. And they have a game, a team that can do that. But in order to really do that effectively, with, like the French, you need set piece superiority and they need and, and, and the fact that they're working on their line out drive. You know, you're looking at Hayden Smith, Samuel Manoa, Todd Clever. Uh, Scott Lavallo, Louis Stanfield, you know, and so you got five guys who can jump on the team, which means that you have to base your game on aerial superiority. And then you have, you, know, you got three big dudes in the front row. So if you can maintain a stable platform, you don't, you don't have to do anything crazy, but if you can maintain a stable platform, when you're in the when you're in deep crap, Manoa can get you moving forward. In the event that they play him at eight, if they can get away with playing him at eight, that would be his best position. You can get him moving forward. You can get them moving forward and get your kicking game on, and that would be awesome. But the but they need to have set piece superiority to be able to play the way they want to. The other thing is if they're going to play a territorial game, the the two four two or two three three system is really quite useful because when you kick and they kick back to you, 
you have a choice. You can the forwards can drop into that into that kind of pattern, and then you can start playing ball, and you can you can start to move up field, and you, you may hit the ball up in center field, <clears throat> and then have some real options on either side, or you kick it back and try to catch them on that second chase line where they're in in uh in ba- in a bad way. If you have superiority on them, what you may want to do is you kick to them, they kick to you, you kick it off the park. And then you back your defensive line out. And I think the defensive line out worked pretty well against Canada and it worked uh very well. I mean sorry, worked, worked very well against Canada. Worked pretty well against Uruguay. And, produced a try, went and, yeah, well, that, that, to a that, try. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I think that was just dumb luck. But um, as as the announcer said, but uh, I don't and, think so. I mean, I uh, yes, they screwed up, but that, that's I mean, part of it is that you put in a position where somebody's a little bit nervous. Now I know that the All Blacks aren't going to do this, but I can see Romania screwing that up. If there's a team that does that, the All Blacks do do stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So that that is where the that's where the U.S. is going to have to catch the All Blacks. On doing things like that, but the U.S. can back its defensive line out, and I think that's an area that they can look to further develop. The only thing I would say about their attacking line out is I thought that they used too much motion unnecessarily, especially against Canada. Agreed. Yeah. To move, like, go in, win the damn ball, drive it, do whatever you're gonna go off the top, whatever you're gonna do, but just win the damn ball. And I thought they, they monkeyed around a bit too much. Um, now maybe they were just doing that for effect. I don't know, but I will. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this all plays out. The fact of the matter is, the All Blacks played Australia three times, South Africa twice, and New Zealand once, and then they're going to go, you know, play the United States and have a, uh, you know, they're, and then they're going to go in their fall internationals. Whereas the guys in the United States. Got to play Boston Rugby Club, Life, AC, and Old Blue, and, you know, played a couple of ARC games, and they're going to go play the All Blacks. So the, the, the level of preparation is light years apart. It's it's kind of insane to actually bring, to, to mention it. I mean, it, but it's very clear to everybody, and it's certainly clear to the the, the USA players. I mean, this is... This is the New Zealand season now. They don't even they don't bother. I mean, it used to be that that um, they would expect all black players to play in the N, the old NPC, the ITN Cup. Um, no, they don't. They don't expect them to do that anymore. So this is their season. They play Super Rugby, which is the toughest league in the world, or one of the two toughest leagues in the world at the very least. And then they go and they play Test matches. Every week or two weeks, they play. They play every week through June, and then is pretty much August, September, October. They play every two weeks against amazing competition. That's their season, and so not only are they doing that, right? They're playing together and they're training together. Whereas the Eagles, we're, we're talking about the ARC, and we've, we've just concluded that a large percentage of these ARC guys are not going to be playing uh, in Soldier Field. We've got guys coming from uh, three different continents to come and play and train for several days and then go out and play the All Blacks. 
I mean, it, it, it's kind of insane to even ask them to do it. It's funny that these international competitions are – one of the things that's really cool about American sports, quote-unquote, is that the preparation phases are equalized. Not necessarily the players may not be equal, but the preparation phases are equal. Like preparation in college football for Cornell University is the same as it is for Notre Dame because they're playing under the same rules. Or maybe in 1AA it's a little bit different, but um, let's say Bowling Green or Ball State has the same as USC or Notre Dame. Or Florida State would be a better thing than saying Notre Dame. But, um, and, I, and, and in baseball, you know, spring training, spring training, and football, they have the amount of day, or NFL football. Pat, you've been having just a, an amazing year fan wise. Your entire <laughs> life has been a complete disaster in terms of your fandom. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, all you've had is, is heartbreak and, and, and beer and nachos to cry in. And now you're going to the World Series against Connor Coyne, who called me in right after the Giants went to the World Series. Um, he is, you guys are now going to have these amazing things that are going on in your lives. And, and, that's, and that's brilliant. So I'm really happy for you, Pat, because I, I know that you're not only just a rugby pundit and a, and a rugby coach and a rugby writer and a rugby commentator. You love football, basketball, soccer, and baseball with an enormous passion. You are a true sports fan, <laughs> and, and you deserve some love. Yeah, you know, when you, when you haven't seen your baseball team make the playoffs your lifetime, Yeah, that kind of that kind. I'll tell you, it could have come when I was in college because all this celebrating that I've been doing is, uh, you know, I'm getting a little too old for this back-to-back <laughs> nights. So I don't have cable. So every time I got to go watch the the entire playoffs have been on TBS. So it means I got to so, go to a bar to watch the game. Well, it's so funny. I'll tell you. When the Yankees had a, had a dry spell for a while. And in 1996 and 1995 and 96 and 94, when the Yankees were decent, a lot of sports bars opened in New York and basically lived on the Yankees and NFL because of the baseball playoffs. And then it just turned into like turning into big bars turned from just being bars to being sports bars. Right. Then the Yankees started chunking it and these bars all closed. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But they had an, an, an enormous run of, of really profitable times because people will go out and watch this. If teams are, you know, in New York, if teams are doing well, in the Midwest, forget about it. People think that they're like, people think like New York fans think they're football fans. I went out to a wedding in Pittsburgh once during preseason, and you'd have thought the Super Bowl was going on. These people take their football very, very seriously. They know everything about everything, and I'm sitting there going like, "Holy crap! I don't know shit from Shinola," and these people. Oh, I mean, women are talking about, you know, the Steelers running game and their left guard. Like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Well, that you're is- talking about profitable times and then 
um, you know, America's love for football. I, I don't know where you're if, if you're going to steer the conversation there, Alex, but I'm just curious, what do we really make of this all black fixture as a fixture itself and and the trading three games for one um, for the availability of of uh, of so many of our professional eagles for it? Well, I'll tell you what I think. For, I mean, for, first of all, it's a massive payday for USA Rugby. It's it's far and away huger, hugest. Uh, there's no way. You know, we, we used to talk about 5,000 fans at a game and say, hey, you know, I think they cleared 50 grand and we're pretty happy about it, or they didn't lose money at a game. Um, and I, and I, I went to a, uh, a World Cup qualifier in 2002 in San Francisco that had 1,100 people in the stadium, in the stands. Uh, so that was pretty sad. Uh, so, I, I mean, th- that's going to be huge. I don't know how much they bring in. You can, if you think, I don't know, what what's the average ticket price? 50 bucks? 50 bucks? Yeah, 60, sure. yeah, yeah 50 bucks, 60,000 people. So that's $3 million. Now I realize you got to pay for the stadium and you got to pay for a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, but they've also got. Just, my understanding is that um, through their partnership to this legacy group, and this is yeah. all like loosely unconfirmed uh, stuff, but th- they're actually not making the kind of payday that you would think that they're making. It's obviously a significant payday and well, more than they no, exactly. would have made in, in a test. But exactly right. So so there's there's a whole bunch of other stuff going in, involved in terms of the partnerships. Who who gets who foots the bill on a, a variety of other aspects of it, things like that. So you you can't say. You can't just multiply the ticket price by the attendance, right. and and as we know, uh, uh, not only USA Rugby but various other organizations embellish attendance. So you know, as, as Bruce, you've said they count everybody, right? So attendance isn't necessarily paid attendance, um, but it's still going to pull in a very large amount of money for an organization that even though it's much bigger than it used to be is still, you know, still talking about a budget of like $13 million. So, so if they, if they made a million off of it, that's a lot of money. Right. That's great. Now. I, I think that the big thing in this, a, I hope those seats were really sold and that somebody just didn't buy a block of them and helped to off them. Or at least they bought a block. I hope that the stadium is full. The attendance aside, I hope the stadium's full, and I think it will be. The other thing is the TV. They need to keep the effing thing interesting through halftime. Yes. It meaning people have to still be watching so that they can get the commercial benefit. Otherwise, people are just going to, oh, it's, you know, 39 nothing New Zealand, and there's still 18 minutes to go at half. That would be a little bit outrageous, but you know what I'm saying? And that that could be a complete disaster. I don't think that would happen. But I'm just saying they need to keep it interesting till halftime. And it's going to be difficult to do that because the All Blacks will have been together and on song and the Eagles are probably going to get their guys on Tuesday. <laughs> and then they're going to play or whatever day they're going to get them. Because they'll say they play Saturday. <clears throat> maybe they travel Sunday. Get there Sunday afternoon. Not, not, not really. They're not really useful on, on Monday having 
Yeah. So and it, it's Jet not lag and everything. And it's not that they, you know, you, you, you're not you're not teaching these guys how to play. You're organizing them in, in coaching select side is or coaching representative sides are completely different than coaching club sides. Um, coaching a club side, you have them over the period of time, and it's very. But coaching a representative side, it's, you're you're organizing them to play on that day to do that thing, and then they disperse. And you have another one. Maybe there's a couple games in a row. And that's a completely different egg than what most of us are used to. And 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 I think that, that, that there's a need for representative rugby in America, not so much for identification purposes. I understand that players can be identified. It's not it's not rocket science to identify guys, but you know, everybody's like, oh, identify, identify. Dude, you look at an 11-year-old soccer game, you tell you know who the best kid is. You don't have to know anything about soccer. Um, same with same with a rugby game. You know, your wife can go to the game. She'll know crap about rugby. And she knows the, the three best guys on the field or two. And that's and, – and, and relatively accurately, providing that they're not complete seagulls and don't play defense. But um, so – the identification process isn't that's not a huge problem for that, although you get a diamond in the rough here and there or even a diamond. But what, what it is important for is the ability of players to play with a different group of guys and be able to perform as a team quickly and be able to get organized and play and be able to back and trust their skills. When you have a short assembly, you don't make players better. And that's the key to coaching rep rugby. A lot of guys coach rep, rep, rep rugby and go, this is the way we run the ball, pass the ball, catch the ball. That's not rep rugby. That's camp. That's other things that happen. In rep rugby, okay, we got this guy. He's going to be a line-out lifter. He's going to be a line-out jumper. This, okay, we're going to do this. We, gotta, we don't have an eight who's great at running, so we're going to play to nine off the bat, you know, and you just figure out, all right, who do I have and what's my game plan, paint a picture for the guys, flesh out the picture, have the guys believe in it, get them to believe in it, understand that they can execute on it, boom, and play. And I think that's what the U.S. is lacking in terms of getting guys to play with different people, getting guys out of their comfort zone of who they're with. And then I think that we'll see a little bit better rugby. So, and it's, oh, so, so, so that what this this leads to to you know what I what I want to say about it is that, you know whether whether you have to you know, the, the trade off. Okay, so Samu Manoa for the All Blacks or for the rest of November, and and I think you have to make the trade. I think you have to put your absolute best USA team on the field for this game and you have to tell them this is your Super Bowl um, and uh, this is your chance to play the very best that you can and we know, I think we all know, that they're going to lose. The question is, do they lose and play tough and get people cheering for them and, and have New Zealand fans saying, hey, that USA team, they're not bad. Or do they lose by a hundred points. 
and and yeah. and it could it could happen. I've you know we've seen we've seen good USA teams lose by a lot. So uh, and Craig Joubert, who's refereeing this game, his first international was a game I was at USA versus Wales in two thousand five, where they where they lost seventy seven to three, and it was a it, and this was a team that didn't have their British Lions with them. So it could happen. So but but you got to make the trade. You got to you got to say forget about rankings tests forget about the fact they could lose all three rankings tests and drop down the rankings i don't care about the irb rankings they're useless to me but you got to put your best foot forward in this game yeah i i think it's a gamble and i understand that that line of thought um you know one of my frames of reference here is the 1980 game now i know that the 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 crowd was much smaller, but at the time it was still a record for the United States to put almost 15,000 people in an NFL stadium. It was live on ESPN. They had more media coverage for that game, getting write-ups in the, in sports illustrated and a big spread in sports illustrated than they got for any other test. And it was, it was a huge game at the time, but nobody now looks back at the 1980 all blacks game and says, that's when American rugby really turned the corner. But that's what I think everybody's putting their weight on into this game. So I think that, Right, my, well, well, okay, who? USA Rugby is putting – I mean, feeling that they're yes. going to make it – Yes, I think USA Rugby is doing that. I think that um, people – the perceived value in this game that we're going to help America fall in rugby because we're live on NBC, um, you know, playing the All Blacks and there's a stadium of 60, 65,000 people in it um, is somehow going to turn the tide in terms of helping people fall in love with American rugby. And USA Rugby clearly thinks that, that there's a lot of value in that too, which is why they made the trade. Um, so you know, one of the things they look at is that 80 game, and that's nobody looks at that as some watershed moment in American rugby history. And, and the other thing is, I mean, what are the ratings going to be? I mean, this is a November, a Saturday in November in the middle of the day, in the middle of the height of college football season. How many people are going to be watching or that aren't going to be watching something else? I, you know, I don't know what that's going to be. I'm interested to see what it is. And I'm not trying to tear that in the game. I'm excited as anybody to go see the All Blacks live and, and to be surrounded by hopefully 65,000 rugby people in the United States. I think that's a, it's going to be a phenomenal weekend. And I do think that it's a big opportunity for USA rugby and for the Eagles. And, you know, I, I, you know, hopefully it's not just that it's going to help people fall in love with rugby and create more fans, but it might also help, Get a professional league here, you know. Um, if you prove that you can put that many butts in seat, it might help get the Sevens Rugby World Cup, which they've said they're going to bid for. It might help get some of these, you know, great events here. So, it, you know, it may advance rugby in some ways, but it's a gamble because we don't really know if it's going to do that. And, uh, you know, it's in a World Cup year, so you're giving away – you're not giving away three games, but you're, you're definitely not – there's there's three games where your full team isn't gelling and getting better within a twelve month twelve months of the World Cup, um, so I, yeah, I think there's a lot to take into consideration, and I I don't think it's fair to say whether it was the right deal or wrong deal until um, much long after this, and we see the actual fallout of it. But I definitely think it's a gamble. I think that the the money situation is definitely big. The 1980 All Blacks game actually featured Tim O'Brien. And Jeff Old, who was the former technical director of USA Rugby, he was a captain of the team that day. That's just an interesting aside. But um, but I think that the, the it's, it's going to be difficult for us. Pat, you, you hit the nail on the head, is that they have a limited amount of time together prior to the World Cup 
and they're basically giving up three weeks of international touring for one game. Now, how much money that game brings in is really going to determine whether or not that was worth it. And then the other thing is this. If that game does bring in a lot of money, well, I, I think that the players, and I, I certainly don't know anything about this, but I think that the players are going to want a piece of the action. Here, here's the here's the thing about this. A couple of things, you know, and I, I don't I don't talk to the the players much about how much they get paid. Um, they they don't want to sound ungrateful, anything like that. Um, if if we had a series of games that we continued to be we could bank on having a certain amount of fans at, then then I think that that's where you turn around and the the players say we know this is coming in for sure. This is a one off for to a certain extent. Um, if they can build on it and have these kinds of games on a regular basis, even better. You know that's great. But right now there's not going to be a tier one tour next year. So this game fills that hole as well. The financial side of it, just just the one-off windfall financial side of it, is important. Even if, and 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 Pat, I can I can hear the voices of the people who are circulating uh, uh, around behind you saying, you know, yeah, this is a big deal, but they're paying these guys, and yeah, but they're paying these guys, and yeah, but. It's a trade-off, and then not, it's not really what you think it is. It is still far and away by a hundred percent the biggest crowd we're ever going to see watch a rugby event in the United States. I think that's important. I think it's also important that I mean, I, I don't think it'll jumpstart a professional league, but maybe, uh, as you said, Pat, it will jumpstart a little bit more respect about how the United States can host a real rugby event like the Sevens World Cup. Maybe it can showcase more. Uh, more players to professional contracts. And and one of the things I think might be interesting would be how many people who love rugby, who live in the United States, who don't do anything about it, they don't coach, they don't referee, they don't go to games, anything like that. They just say New Zealanders who are living in America, who love rugby, show up and perhaps go out and get involved. That's a trade-off for, the, for USA Rugby. USA Rugby wants something like that to happen. Because that's, yeah. that's part of what they want to do. That's not the whole reason for doing it, but that's one of those little wins that they could get out of it. They could get, you know, 300 new co- you know, youth coaches or referees or touch judges or backers of clubs or something like that out of it. That would be, that would be good for them. The exposure they're going to be getting is, I think, largely good. But just like what Bruce brought up, you know, possible negative side effect is what, you know, what are the players going to, they don't get any money. Is this going to, you know, make that relationship worse, you know, out of it? What are some of the negatives? Out of it? What if they do go lose by 70 or 80 points? That's a huge negative and it's and, completely and what if, possible. What if yeah. They did give away those three games in preparation for the world cup um, with those, your best players to lose by 70 or 80 points. You know, what is there negative side effects from that? You know, everybody I, says good publicity. Any, you know, any publicity is good publicity, but I don't know that that's a hundred percent true. There's always an exception that proves rule. If we go lose by seventy or eighty, and people, and you know, several hundred thousand or a few million people actually are watching, what does that do for the credibility of the game in the states? Now, I think it's a it's a risk worth taking um, to play that game and still you know pivot up as much as we have. 
but uh, you know, it, well, look, okay. let's let's guy, let's look. Let's just let's look at the company you work for, and how important it's been for United World Sports to have the USA Sevens be successful, both on television and in fan attractiveness, and how frustrating it is for them that the United States Sevens team often in Las Vegas has played poorly, right? right? So that, I mean, that plays right into it. USA plays poorly, and I think rightfully the people at United World Sports say, you know, if the Eagles could just, you know, if they could be on a winning streak going into Vegas, or if they could be, uh, if they could have gotten into, you know, like the semifinal last year, maybe we can really start to pump this up for American fans. That's extremely difficult. I think losing 80, let's, let's pick real scores, okay? Let's pick real scores. Lo- losing uh, 83 to three as they did to Ireland in 2000. Use- losing 77 to three as they did to uh, Wales in 2005. Losing 106 to eight as they did to England in '99 in Twickenham. Losing 67 to five as they did to Australia in the 2011 World Cup. Those would be bad results. They would be. They they would be a detriment to the to the game, right? New people looking saying, "Oh, let's look." Oh, USA they suck, right? But I I don't know where the cutoff is, right? I mean, I've we I've been writing about this team and I've talked about games where it's like, well, if they score more than fifteen and they allow less than sixty, then they can consider that a moral victory. Uh, we, you know, we've we've written those stories. I don't know where the cutoff is for for this team, but I think there is one. And I think they could lose a certain amount. And as Bruce said, if at halftime they're kind of in it, then then that the rest of that goes away. Um, and speaking of, you know, you're listening to Rugged Matrix America, brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. We're still yapping on about the Eagles, but uh, speaking of trading off those games in November, I don't know if the games in November really translate into success the following October at the World Cup. Um, I do know that the build-up, June, July, August, is hugely important. And I do know that the long-term build-up, 2012, 13, 14, is hugely important. Uh, But I would add in that there's a value to this game in the sense that how many times have we seen the Eagles go to the World Cup and play South Africa or Australia, somebody like that, and they haven't played a team like that ever. None of those players have played a team like that. And they go in there and they get destroyed. So what happens if all the guys who walk out on the field against South Africa uh, in the World Cup in 2015 are thinking, I've already played against the All Blacks. I didn't die, <laughs> you know. I handled it. I mean, and and they might, you know, you 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 lie to yourself a little bit. Maybe maybe they lost big. Who knows? But they said, you know, I I hung in there and I rattled the teeth of that one guy and I made that tackle and I did that. I I did that move. I can do that. Maybe there's a value to that. Yeah, I think there may be, and, and I'll listen to that. You know, I got time for that. You you, you mentioned uh, rankings tests, by the way. And how rankings, that's one of the things that people do care about. Oh, we have a rugby team. Let's look at the rankings. And I did this the other day. 
you know, non-rugby fan that we're trying to convert and, and get some interest in rugby in the United States. The United, we're a rankings-obsessed country when it comes to sports. And uh, I looked up USA Basketball. New Zealand basketball has a better chance of if rankings mean anything. They're, they're ranked closer to the American basketball team than the, the Eagles are um, to the All Blacks <laughs> by one spot. So I, I checked, I think, the – New Zealand basketball teams like ranked seventeenth of the world, so I, that does kind of matter to people. I think a little bit. If you are getting interested in rugby and you, you look up American rugby and where they're ranked, I think that um, you know that's there's it's kind of an important stat um, and definitely one you want to be better. Um, so you know, I well, okay. Here's here's my problem with that is I think the rankings for the IRB rankings suck. I don't like their system. There's really there's virtually no way to move up. Unless uh, unless you're really really close, you know the USA is going to play Romania. You have to win. And well, okay, number one, you have to win, which is that's fine. But the USA is going to play Romania, and if they beat Romania, they'll move past Romania, which would be great. But because of the way that you move up and somebody else moves down, um, it's really really difficult to really make giant jumps up, even if even if they beat New Zealand. There's a limit to how far up you can move. So they're going to play Fiji, who are ranked seven points ahead of them. And they're going to play Tonga, who ranked five points ahead of them. And if they beat them by more than 15 points, they're not going to catch him. It's not going to make any difference. So they can go and they can go 3-0 and in that thing. And maybe they get up to 16. Is that's why I don't like the rankings. Not because I'm I'm disapprove of rankings, but I think the rankings that they have are you, you get you get underwater in in this lower you know thirteen to twenty spot, and it's really really tough to get out. It takes years. Yeah. Well, if you you lose a bunch of games over a course of years it's going to Correct. take some time to reverse them very very true uh you just still have to win um and you but what you have to do is you have to win like eight games in a row and japan has done it J- japan uh argentina they're up there japan's 11th and and they used to be uh you know down in the 16 17 18 category so they they've worked their way up there and and they've done it by having a lot of games and winning them, uh, winning the you know winning a lot of games, um, but it's very very difficult. So I I mean I I just think in the short term, playing uh, rankings tests against Fiji and Tonga, I don't think it's really going to matter that much. Um, playing against Romania it would be nice to beat Romania and and move up ahead of them. You could get up to sixteen or something. That would be nice. The IRB is a government. Governments <laughs> status quos. That's what they do. I mean, that's why they changed the rules on the sevens exemption for the Olympics going in the 15s. That's why they, they won't, you know, that teams, especially in, in countries where there's professionalism, that they'll just lock players down. You know, a guy, they, they see a promising player in another country, they move him over, get three-year status, and put him in an A game or something, or they find a way. The IRB is never going to do anything to upset the apple cart, the reality is the worst thing in the world for the IRB would be for the USA. It would be the best and the worst thing. The USA gets good. If the USA gets good, 
They make the rules, period. They have the money. And that's how it would go. And they don't want anyone else making the rules. And so they're highly protective of that. And anyone who doesn't think that way is naive. They are not looking for other teams to beat them. They're looking to take the commercial market of other teams. It's very mercantilist. It's, 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 it's horrible. It's, it's ridiculous. International rugby, you know, it, it's what it is. But I, I, I think it's the, the main thing. That's why American sports are great. It's club-based. Anybody can play. If you're good, you're good. That's how it goes. And it would be so much better if there weren't these restrictions on whether or not you can go here or you can go there or this guy's human beings can't be illegal just because you, you know, you happen to be spawned in some arbitrary line that was drawn because of some ridiculous war is limiting the athletic opportunities of players is absurd. And for that, you know, like I said, the IRB is useless, worthless, and as are all governments. So, and 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 it's well, you know, if 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 American if American rugby became big and professional and it got to the level of like the major league soccer or things like that, then we would see a league. There would be no restrictions on foreigners. Uh, just as we see in in the NBA and and Major League Baseball and football, they would just bring in the best players, and it would explode. In that sense, it would be the best league in the world. Of Doesn't East, necessarily yeah. mean that it would be the best league in the world, because it could be. There's a, well, there's a massive problem with rugby. Rugby encourages cheating, meaning that. The, the the scrum collapses and the 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 offsides inside the twenty two and things like that that happen are a blight on the game. The ball disappears for long periods of time, and you don't know where it is, and it confuses people. You can have four experts, I mean legitimate experts, two referees and two coaches of the highest level can see a play, see something happen, and have four different opinions on what to do. And what should be called. And all of them can be valid. For really great reasons. So it's a difficult game for fans. So it rugby, rugby is, while it's the most amazing thing, and the most amazing game, there we have the professionalism, the, the professionalization of rugby has hurt some aspects of it. And I was talking about this the other day that, you know, even the quote-unquote going to the bar and having a beer after the game, that stopped people from talking. There's not a lot of young coaches in rugby anymore. And part of the reason is that they don't have an opportunity to sit down and have a bunch of beers and talk nonsense with older guys and learn about it. And sit there and really just because because sitting sitting in a bar listening to an old guy go off is uh... well you don't know I mean but there's, like, 
I'm not saying that's how I've learned most things in life. <laughs> I'm just talking about like, but 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 I know I know that it sounds crazy, but those things have disappeared from the game, and there's no way it's the, how are you spreading knowledge? We we there's certainly I actually we have, I have a snowboard. I have an aside I want to share here, which I think is interesting. I, my club still does it. We every Thursday we go have beers. Coach sits there. We talk. You know, do do the whole thing. But I was listening to a coach the other day, who was lamenting. Is a college coach, Division two college, who was lamenting the uh, involvement of his school's administration. Yeah, we get we get trainers at our games, and we get we get all these. Uh, you know, we, we get everything that's paid for. We got a great website. You know, all that stuff's great. You know that we get travel. Uh, they give us buses and bus drivers for all the games, but man, it just really, you know, there are no after get after, after match socials anymore. Guys think rugby just ends at the end of the whistle. They don't know any, any, they don't know the pageantry and the things that go with it. And I was just thinking to myself, good Lord, if only half the people in America doing good things for rugby would slap you upside the head if they heard you right now complaining about, uh, you don't get to drink after the games with the college kids the same way that you used to because now you have, you know, free travel and all these other amenities. Certainly. And I'm not, I'm certainly not talking about that at the college level. I happen to coach college now and I don't, uh, and that's not what I'm talking about. No, I know. I just, it reminded me of it. I thought it was, it may be worthwhile bringing it up. And I, and there's, there's good with a lot of it. it. It's funny because, Everything that the people in Alex and I's generation wanted, players to not have to deal with stuff, players to not have to line fields, players to not have to get the fields, players to not have to do the administrative work, you know, all these things that have been accomplished at almost every club has now become a problem at those very clubs that the same guys who are doing a lot of this work are saying, these guys are privileged. These guys are, what are they, you know, they're acting like we owe them to do this. Well, we don't. And I think that the players should show a gr- bit of gratitude, and I think they should work a little bit. But I also think that that's what we wanted. We didn't want them to have to pay for their travel. We didn't want them to have to do these things. And that's where we wanted rugby to go. It's here, and now we're not happy with it. And, and I think that it's not a, like I said, it's a double-edged sword is there are, there's elite rugby and then there's community rugby and you could still have competitive community rugby. There's very competitive basketball. There's very competitive sports all over the place, baseball and all kinds of things, but it still is, it's a hobby. And the other thing is, when, when you don't have these, these little social things where you can meet people and talk to people and, and learn about a lot about things or, you know, share a couple of beers and that kind of thing, it doesn't necessarily have to be beer. Just share stuff going on is that in order to develop a passion for something, you, you really need to love it. Otherwise, you're going to quit. And what happens is in in many cases that these kids think well I want to be an eagle all right well that's great what kind of effort are you putting into doing it and then they try 
they don't really try that hard, they don't make it, and they quit. Because there's nothing to say that I want to be a great player for the New York Athletic Club, or I want to be great for Golden Gate or life or all these things. And that's I wanna, my I want to play in the show. I want to play and if for I get the Pittsburgh Eagles. Steelers in the yeah. NFL. Yeah, we don't we don't have that that ideal of just playing for. And I think that we do have it to an, a little bit of an extent. But there are players that, especially who have incredible potential, but they also have, you know, know, possibly inflated egos, I would say. The famous thing is competent incompetence in things because these guys are sold a bill of goods or they're coddled along the way, and and, and they – they get to the next level and they think, oh, yeah, I got to make it. You, see, you just see it. You see these guys who've been in the system for several years and haven't improved. Haven't improved their physiques. Haven't improved their, you know, they, they showed up out of shape. They're still out of shape. They showed up lacking skill. They still lack skill. Those kind of things, it means you got it too easy. You have to earn it. You have to fight for it. And that's where we need to go in American rugby. And I'm not saying that beer is the answer. I'm I'm just saying that a lot of that love that you create, a lot of that camaraderie that you create is great. Part of the reason that I love coaching Iona is that I get to hang out with my friends. My friends who came from many different clubs that played Met Union and all these things together that would never coach the AC. Tolks and I tried to get guys to coach the AC all the time. Nobody would ever do it. They're like, I ain't an AC guy. Now that I'm coaching a college team, everybody will coach. They could care less. Yeah, I'll coach. I'll work with the freshmen. I'll do the development stuff. Yeah, no problem. Everybody's in. It's amazing. And I think that, you know, for me, that makes it exciting. You know, I don't, you know, the players may think they were a bunch of old coots and probably do, but, uh, you know, for me, it's fun. And I think that that's what makes rugby fun. And it's also what makes rugby unique. And that camaraderie part of rugby can't be lost. Rugby's not serious as cancer. Sports aren't serious as cancer. And when you start bringing money into it and you start to, the sharks come out and you start seeing some bad dudes. And I don't think we want that. We've already seen that. Money causes people to do stupid stuff. And, you know, money's important. And I am the ultimate capitalist. But you got to, sometimes you got to go back and say that the real important things are stuff you can't buy. And those are relationships. And I don't think that the younger generation of players have the relationships that the older generation of players were able to have. And that's... Sad fact, I believe. And I don't want to say the older we get, the better players are better now. I, I, I don't, I don't know how we circle back and tie a bow on this. Um, you know, he, the, 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 the thing is that that uh, I ran into this in New Zealand a lot. A lot of New Zealanders during the World Cup uh, who don't like the World Cup. 
and they feel that the world the rugby world cup has taken the things that they loved about the game even the international game out of it um they loved those uh those three four game tours and series you know springbacks all blacks we springbox sorry springbox all blacks which um you don't see anymore um but they they also talk about the idea that uh you know a the, apart from the British Lions, no, nobody else does this anymore. A national team touring a country and playing non-national teams. Um, and players who were on a club. I mean, my, the, the, the guy who taught me how to play rugby uh, uh, in the first form at Haberdasher's Ass was a guy named Ralph Warmington. And, and his claim to fame was that he played um, wing for Devon and Cornwall against the 1973 All Blacks and held Grant Batty to no tries. And they did lose to the All Blacks, but he played. And that was a big deal. And, you know, they, they wrote an article about him. And, and uh, that's the kind of thing that, that we've kind of lost with the professionalism of it. Um, that's something that I, th I, th I think we still haven't quite lost with the USA players because so many of them, uh, with a few exceptions, some of them have sort of gone big time, but, um, you know, they're, they're really accessible guys because they still sort of, you know, a lot of them play, or, you know, have day jobs. A lot of them are playing because they love it. And, um, I think that's, that's a great thing that we need to hold on to. Um, and thinking about that, why should they be playing the All Blacks then? And the reason they should be playing the All Blacks is because they want to. And if you put the top 50 national team players in a room and you said, we're going to play the All Blacks and we could get our asses handed to us, how many of them would say, well, I don't feel like playing? Well, those who would, the two or three who might say that, you don't want to ever have them on your team. But everyone else would say, yeah, bring it on. We want to play. And I think that's the number one reason to play this is, um, well, for a few years through, you know, late 90s, after some of the, one of those blowouts against a major team, somebody would come up with an idea. Um, and, and several people used to, propose these ideas that the USA should not play any international games until they become competitive. I happened to be talking to Todd Clever recently and I mentioned this to him and he started laughing. And we both agreed on the same thing. How do you know you're competitive unless you play the games? You've got to play the games. And for us, I mean, the, the sad thing is that the Eagles haven't played New Zealand since 1991. They've got to play this game. Uh, we, we hope it is a big success. Um, uh, give me, just to finish this up then, real quick, really quick, Bruce, you first. Pick a score that you think would be like a, like a moral victory score. USA 6, New Zealand 0. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't. It, the players are competitors, and I think that you know you, you don't want to sit and say a moral victory. You want to have something in your head that says, "How can we beat these guys?" You can still get killed, 
And that's when you have to have a, a, a picture in your head or a movie in your head of how you can make this work based on the personnel you have versus the personnel they have. And, you know, you may need a couple things to go your, your way and you may need good weather. You may need, you know, or, or you may need crap weather or whatever it is. But, and I think that they're, so I don't, I, I can't say a score. I, I, I wish I could, Alex. I, I, you know, I think that anything within, within 28 points would be a, a strong, a strong statement. If, if you're going to trade that many, you know, you're going to trade your players for, for, for three weeks together on tour then the real moral the the real the real uh, moral victory would be a single digit game by halftime, so the people are still watching. If it opens up after, it opens up after. Pat, but the I think the key is a single digit game at halftime. Pat, what do you think? I you know I like the twenty eight figure. I don't know that I can uh, like Bruce put a number on an exact score, but. You know, I, the game that I think of that was a loss, and I, everybody looks at Maori probably now, it was, it was that 11, that two, the 2011 Ireland game. I mean, we lost the game. Uh, we were always going to lose the game. But the guys made everybody in America paying attention extremely proud. And they played their balls off. And they played great defense, which I think is what, you know, big hits are things that people want to see. So I think if they play great defense, they're within a few scores at, at, uh, at halftime. Um, and they managed to get a try or two. I, I think that, um, you know, if, if two out of three of those things happen, I think, I think it's probably you chalk it up as a moral victory. Uh, I actually look back, uh, USA, South Africa, December, uh, 2001, the last time this kind of thing really happened, uh, 15 to 12 at halftime, uh, standing ovation for the USA team at that point. Um, it opens up in the second half. USA does get one try, and then right at the end of the game, uh, with the score uh, 36 to 20, uh, they have a shot to score. Uh, a, a player blows it, doesn't pass at the right time, it gets turned over, and goes 99 meters for the final try. So it ends up 43 to 20, when it probably should have been 36 27. 36 27 against the Springboks would have been. Earth-shaking, 43-20 was pretty great. I would say, I agree with Bruce, single-digit deficit um, by halftime, but I'm looking at less than 50 for the All Blacks, more than 10 for the USA with one try, at least. Um, I'd be pretty happy with that. If it were were 48-12, to you know, that would be okay. But, Pat, as you said, it's more... I'm the one who said, give me a score. We'll finish it with this. It's it's about pitching up. It's about getting there. It's about playing as hard as you can. And I think the fans, and and, and this was actually mentioned in a in a the, of the squad announcement video for the All Blacks, where they said, people in America don't really know much about rugby, but they've still heard of the All Blacks. I don't think it'll be, it'll hurt in the way that I think people who don't really follow rugby still know that the All Blacks are the best. And if they go and they play 
and they compete with them and they battle them and they knock them down and they knock them down again and they knock them down again and they drag themselves off the field, nobody's going to have any problem. So I think that's going to do it for us here on Rugger Matrix America. This is Alex Goff with Pat Clifton and Iona head coach Bruce McLean. And uh, uh, check out the f- old Rugger Matrix America shows. Uh, you can go to Golf Rugby Report. You can also go to iTunes. Check out RuggerMatrix.com with the international show as well. It's brought to you by Aircraft Charter Solutions. We're happy you're here. Thank you for listening to Rugger Matrix America. <laughs>